ain't a junkie, I just draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy. I ain't a junkie, I just draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy, and I ain't a junkie, I just draft a lot. I ain't really got a lot of thoughts, I just pack them in a box. So I popped up on this pod, now I'm outside of the box. When I pop up on the clock, last thing I think is talk. See, I'm winning it now, loving it three and a thou. They peeping my style, keeping it now, steadily growing my Dow Jones. Oh no, these kids be thinking they prowl. Oh no, no, immediately throwing the towel. See, when it's different, it's different. Go position by position. Ain't no issue commission. As a commission, I just listen. They envision my vision and my division. I'm stealing. Cause I'll be willing and dealing. Find me the trade. Cause I'm a fiend. I'm a junkie, ayy. And I'm a junkie, ayy. Ain't no denying my supply. I'm a junkie, ayy. See, I'm a junkie, ayy. And I'm a junkie, ayy. Be getting high off my supply. I'm a junkie, ayy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of the Dynasty Junkies podcast, a proud member of the Dynasty Addicts podcast network. I am your host, Rocky Petrella, at Dynasty FF Addict on Twitter. Back with my co-host, glad to have him back this week, at Andrew Hall, FF Andrew. How you doing today? I'm great. Any day is a good day to talk fantasy. Yeah, and we have a great guest with us today. Another great in a month of great guests, I think, and uh, one of the one of the best ones we've had, which is uh, football guy. Everybody knows who he is. Football guy Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund, how you doing? Oh, great! This is the time whenever people actually are listening to us because they care because <laughs> they're actually they're not obsessing about the five percent of us that obsess about fantasy football all year are joined by the rest of us who've made this into an industry thank you everybody thank you for uh, encouraging us and giving us an opportunity to not feel like we're maladjusted because we think about football <laughs> every day all year yeah yeah camp camps are opening preseason games are starting soon we're we don't seem quite as much as the degenerates as we did, you know, from <laughs> February to, to, to May and <laughs> June. So, um, but yeah, we got, we got a lot of great stuff on tap for you guys today. Um, uh, we sort of have a main topic we're going to get into, which is some, some polarizing fantasy players you want to talk about. But first I did have a, a couple other topics uh, that we wanted to discuss with, with Sigmund here. Uh, obviously the one everyone's talking about this week is the Cam Akers injury. Uh, we don't necessarily do a, a new segment every week, but when something this big happens, we, you know, we have to talk about it a little bit. So, uh, so Cam Akers, um, out for the year with an Achilles, uh, tear, uh, Sigmund, how are you looking at this? What are you thinking of Daryl Henderson? And uh, are, are you one of the things I'm seeing is a lot of people are still interested in in buying Cam Akers and Dynasty. Yeah, which I, I'm a little I'm a little reticent about. I, I that Achilles that injury. You know, I know he's younger than anybody who's had it. I know he's conceivably a better player than anyone who's had it, but. The, the, the results of most of the guys that, that have had this injury at the running back position are, are pretty frightening. So, so where are you at on Henderson, and what do you think of the idea of buying Acres and Dynasty? Yeah, I'm surprised at where his price has leveled off. It sounds like a future first-round pick is the cost. I have heard a few people selling for a couple of seconds, which is much more palatable. And as you said, the history of running backs with Achilles injuries is terrible. Uh, we're going to watch Marlon Mack this year very closely. The Colts, I think, they believe they have some sort of angle on Achilles tears. 
because they re-signed Marlon Mack. They drafted Deo Odenibo in the second round, who probably was a second-round prospect, but he is coming off an Achilles tear. Granted, we're talking about a defensive lineman. And then they signed Eric Fisher to be their left tackle to replace Anthony Costanzo, who retired, kind of an important position on the offensive line. Uh, And who knows how he's going to respond to his Achilles tear. Different positions, uh, different calculus, but medical technology, knowledge continues to improve. And he said, Akers is young. So the recuperative, none of us are as young as we used to be, but the recuperative abilities of our bodies back in our early 20s, if you can remember back that far, uh, is pretty encouraging. So I do think that that's about the right break point. I think the dynasty community has nailed where you have to pause on both sides. Do I really want to give up a future first to get Acres, or do I really want to give up Acres for only a future first when there's still a good chance for him to resume his career as 90 or 95% of himself and as uh, we've talked about on other shows recently, there was a time that an ACL was a death knell. There was a time that a torn ACL made us think he's never going to be the same. Times change. Now, as far as Henderson goes, I believe we know what Sean McVay thinks about Daryl Henderson because he drafted Cam Akers. Um, again, we can look at early best ball drafts in the last day or two and see that Henderson is leveling off around running back 25, fifth round, around names that like Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis... Javante Williams, Trey Sermon, etc. All these players that offer some upside, but also have risk. I do think that Henderson is not going to get anywhere near what Akers was going to get. He's not going to be a true feature back, even though he may be a better pass catcher than Akers. And of course, Henderson is talented, and we're all very hopeful about this offense with Matthew Stafford. You know, it could be it could really take off. It could be one of the most improved offenses in the league. So I understand making that investment in Akers in a fifth round pick if. That's your build if you're trying to, say, run a running back two by committee on a redraft team. Now, in Dynasty, I think it's time to sell. If you don't need it, Henderson, you get that distressed Acres team on the phone. You see what you can do, because I do think we've seen Henderson already have his chance to really assert his control over this backfield. And I also believe if Akers doesn't come back from the Achilles, you'll see Sean McVay go back to the well next year in the draft or free agency again. And I agree with you on, on the Acres price. That's about what I'm seeing is that it's about a, about a future first at this point. I, I'm not willing to pay that myself. I I, I just like I said, the I know that he's a little different than a lot of guys who've had this injury, but I'm not willing to make that bet yet that he's the the one guy you know that that's going to come back and and perform to a, a fairly high level. I, I got to see it first. But Andrew, uh, what do you think? I'm I'm right there with you. I think that the price of a future first, if I have acres, that's probably enough just because that, that asset is going to accrue value, whereas acres may not. Right. I mean, it's hard to know where that's going. So at least if, if I have acres, I'd rather have something I know isn't going to lose anymore. So that's not bad. But if I have a future first, I don't know quite why I would be sending that for acres. If you're rebuilding that future first is going to go higher in value. Like I just said, what's acres going to do? I mean, that's too much. I think that's too risky. Yes, even if you're if you're rebuilding, it's probably an early first, right? Maybe you have someone else's first and you think they're a good team. And that gets a whole muddiness to it that I'm just not a fan of when you're trading away future first, trying to predict how the season's going to end. We didn't know Akers was going to get hurt. I can't predict next week. I mean, my goodness, there are so many times I've seen bad teams get good and that early first turns into 110. So I, I don't know if there's any, any way I could send first for acres so i agree with you at the same time i I only have acres on one team and if somebody offered me a first yeah why not Uh, i do think the two seconds is a little more palatable because seconds are such a a bigger dart throw there's such a bigger range of outcomes for those so two of those all right sure like why not but yeah I'm, i'm not i don't know i guess it depends every league is so different and every market is so different but 
I'm not actively trying to get acres at this point, but Henderson's a little bit more intriguing to me, especially if you're a win now team, or, I mean, if you did just lose acres, obviously Henderson's someone you're targeting. So I could see Henderson being worth an early first more than, or a first, I guess, a future first than acres, which is really odd at this point, but it's just because of the Achilles. We don't know what that means. We haven't seen anyone come back yet, but you could argue no one of acres talent has been through it. I mean, there's so many question marks. It's, it's going to be an interesting rehab for sure. Yeah, he's he's definitely going to be an interesting case study for this. And I guess, I mean, again, he's still not the the level that everybody expected Cam Makers to be. But we'll get to see Marlon Mack this year as well. See see how he recuperates, uh, how he does. I don't know how much run he's going to get in Indianapolis, but that that might give us a little more insight if if he if he performs well in whatever opportunities he gets. That that could probably give people a little bit more hope for Acres. Uh, Sig, one other thing I wanted to ask you about this whole situation. What do you see? Um, and results, you know, kind of to the passing game and, you know, after the acres injury, do you think they will be more pass heavy? Um, does this maybe improve stout Stafford stock right. or the receiver stock? What, what do you think? I don't see how it doesn't because, and we have to see what they're going to do. If you ask me to forecast this, I would say probably based on how things went in the past, uh, two years ago, I think it was when McVeigh gave it a week, I think with Malcolm Brown and John Kelly, and then they brought in CJ Anderson. So McVeigh may be open to say, hey, let's go into the season with Henderson, Xavier Jones, uh, Raymond Calais as a scat back, maybe keep Jake Funk too. And then in week two, whenever vendor and contracts are no longer fully guaranteed for the whole year, do we kick the tires on a Le'Veon Bell or Adrian Peterson or someone like that? Um, but the overall pass run split has to be lower. Uh, more as far as the run is concerned than it was it, they had envisioned when they had Akers and Henderson as a one-two punch. No matter who they bring in, they're not going to reproduce that. I think you will see potentially the running game efficiency drop and the passing game efficiency drop. Although I think Sean McVay just wants to have a credible running game. Just a credible running game to sell play action enough to set up everything that he hinges off of. And I think you'll see a pass volume increase that will more than make up for the pass efficient, slight a pass efficiency drop. Just, you know, the drives won't, they don't have quite as many long drives or scoring drives without cam acres. You can't just say, oh, it doesn't affect the offense at all. Um, right. But if they're a more efficient passing team with Matthew Stafford, I'm sorry, a, a more dangerous passing team. Cause remember, they added Tutu Atwell, they added Deshaun Jackson. There's a clear sign here that Sean McVay is saying, I'm no longer saddled with Jared Goff. I can run the offense I want to run. And that includes a lot more vertical passing. Now, the offensive line still has to cooperate here. This is definitely a vulnerable offensive line. Uh, and that's another reason why I think you may see a veteran running back brought in is especially for Stafford, you want to have somebody who can be that last line of defense on those downfield passing plays that take longer to develop. But Stafford, you, look at, you can look at Stafford, Tannehill, and Brady. And if you like waiting at quarterback in your typical redraft league, uh, or if you're looking for somebody to buy as a cheap, like, you know, your team is, your dynasty team, your future is Trey Lance or Justin Fields or someone like that, but you're looking for someone for just this year. I think Brady, Stafford, Tannehill, maybe even Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's a lot of players that you can shop for, and now Tan Stafford looks that much more attractive, Robert Woods. So, you know, you're breaking ties in your drafts and things like that. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup become more interesting. Tyler Higby becomes more interesting because it sure does seem like the right reaction here. It's just more of the offense will be on Stafford's shoulders. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you um, – 
as you were talking there, well, two things I wanted to say actually. One, I thought that was a great point you made about about the week two thing. I I, I had kind of forgotten. About, I was aware of that, but I kind of forgot about that. The guarantee contract. Everyone's. I think we're all assuming they're going to bring in somebody else, but it may not be till in season because of that very reason. So it's not guaranteed. But uh, also, do you know? I, I have to admit, I do not know much about Xavier Jones. I know he's been the the hot waiver pickup this week. I know. I know your your player knowledge yeah. is is very deep. So I'm curious what you may have. On, on Xavier Jones. He's been the guy people have been talking about. Well, they like him a lot. So one of the things, especially in dynasty leagues, that we should take note of is when a team uses a healthy scratch on a player all year, like they did with Xavier Jones. Now, granted, they used to that with John Kelly. I like John Kelly, too. Maybe we haven't heard the last of him. I don't know. But they, <laughs> they like Xavier Jones. They liked him enough to use up a valuable 53-man roster spot. They didn't believe they could slide him through to the practice squad. Uh, unlike Calais, he has uh, that compact build uh, thick enough at 5'11", 210-ish to be a back who can mix it up between the tackles. You know, he was very successful at SMU. And again, this is a running game. So guys, we have this constant debate, running backs don't matter, running backs don't matter. And if you unpack that, part of what it's saying is that the production of the running game is produced by the blocking. It's produced by the execution. It's produced by the play design. And any competent running back can harvest that value. And sure enough, we did see that with CJ Anderson. I mean, CJ's out of the league now. I love CJ Anderson. Um, it wasn't like C.J. Anderson announced to the league, I'm back with those huge games he had with the Rams. He was just harvesting what this offense can create when they have a defense overmatched, when everything is clicking. So I think that Xavier Jones can absolutely be good enough, and they will give him a chance to be good enough to be the backup, to be the number two. And hey, with Daryl Henderson's injury history, this is a name that we need to remember. This is a name that we need to know. And then after that, you know, we have Funk, the seventh-round pick, who's got some speed. I think he's coming back off of a knee injury. Um, Clayus is a scat back. Otis Anderson, not like the Otis Anderson you might remember from your childhood. He's another scat back. Uh, and then you start to ask, will they kick the tires on some of these veteran guys? Mainly because they're assignment sound, because they're going to be able to pick up the blitz. They're going to do the right thing when it's time to run the hot route. And I think that's where, for a team that wants to play deep into January uh, that they have to ask themselves, can we really make it this far with this much inexperience in the backfield? Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think they probably will bring somebody in, but it, it may be a little while before we see that. Uh, so we'll move on from the, from the acre stuff. I just want to make sure that, that I wanted to say this so that it's in the world and maybe it can manifest it. Right. Yeah. Adrian <laughs> Peterson coming back and playing with Stafford would be an Ooh. interesting mix, right? Adrian Peterson's one of those guys that we talked about before with ACLs not being a thing. Imagine ACL Adrian Peterson coming back and playing for the Rams and dominating in his swan song with Matt Stafford on the team. He and Stafford played in Detroit, right? They have a little bit of history. They know each other. Peterson is a very good stud, that kind of player who's probably the perfect fit for this offense as someone to fill a role. I, that's, I used to think it was Bell, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I would love to see Peterson do it. I just think because of the injury, because of the story, the narrative with Stafford and everything, I just think it'd be an interesting, I know, it'd be an interesting season for me to, to watch. I'm not 
not saying it's happening, but more that I say it, maybe the more it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see it being AP. I mean, him and him and Le'Veon Bell were the two guys that sprung to mind when this happened for me. Yep. Um, Gurley, a lot of people are making the Gurley connection. That doesn't seem very likely. He, I feel like he nope. kind of burned his bridges on the way out there. So, well, they paid uh, him not to play for them. I, I yeah. just don't see that being. They're not going to change their mind and be like, "All right, come on back in. We'll we'll pay you more money now." Like, no, they paid him plenty. They're they're not yeah. going back to that well. I agree. I agree. Um, so with segment on, I wanted to ask this question that I have next, um, because I know football guys, um, they definitely have a lot of dynasty content, but I feel like they're kind of, uh, you know, we think more redraft when we think of football guys and I wanted, I, but I know, you know, Sigmund is definitely into the dynasty realm as well. So I wanted to ask, uh, and discuss this with the three of us is how can playing redraft kind of inform or, or, or relate to your dynasty teams or vice versa, dynasty relating to redraft? Uh, so, so what are your thoughts on that, Sigmund? We could do a whole show on this. this I fun. know. Trust me, <laughs> it's we fun. know. It's a stimulating topic. First of all, I think if you're not doing redraft drafts or just do some best ball drafts, you don't understand the pulse of how people are feeling about players because it's mercurial, it's real time, it changes in a whiplash second. And by doing periodic redraft drafts, you understand the feeling out there about players, which is really what drives trades, whether it's redraft or dynasty. You're taking advantage of these emotional swings in both directions. And you can see that reflect in ADP. The other thing is that as a dynasty team you should be switching to redraft mode around now anyway. Uh, yep. Dynasty, you want to win a championship. You want to win a championship. And sometimes you have to uh, look at the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, you have to sacrifice future assets to maximize your championship windows. And I think that redraft helps you have that urgency and it helps you sometimes uh, it helps you hone in thinking about things in a one-year window, which I believe dynasty teams sometimes swing way too far to the other direction. Uh, so I think redraft is going to help you with your chops there. Uh, and I, it can help you have simple answers to simple questions. Like, again, who are the old quarterbacks that I might be able to get? Who are the old running backs? Who are the running backs? So one of the things we can do, guys, that is a wonderful, wonderful exercise, Adam Harstad, who all things fantasy football and brain intelligence related. He's on the football guy staff I refer to. So sometimes you just do something simple. Who has a higher redraft ADP than dynasty? Who has a higher dynasty ADP than redraft? And does it make sense, right? I mean, of course, Mike Davis should, you know, Miles Gaskin should, some of these players should. Um, but it allows you to see where there's inefficiencies in the market on both sides to know that, hey, like Ronald Jones, I think, was a player who had a higher redraft ADP than Dynasty at this time last year at like age 23. So it, it helps playing both sides of the aisle so you can understand where the other side might be wrong. Yeah, and I'll just I'll piggyback on that and say you're exactly right. Dynasty shifts to redraft. Once the season starts and we start scoring points, all we care about is winning that title. Yeah. I don't know a single Dynasty player that's like, no, 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 I don't care about points. No, that's the whole reason we're playing this, man. Is like this now we're to the season. So the only thing that that switches, I, you're exactly right. There was values and trades, right? Because then Mike Davis is worth more in a value in a trade in a redraft league than in a dynasty league, right? So like the, that trade value makes a difference. But you're hitting the nail on the head too, where you can look up and say, well, if I really need a running back, if I'm trying to win now, I know in my uh, redraft leagues, David Johnson went in the eighth round. In my dynasty leagues, nobody wants him. 
Maybe that's a guy I should target. Right. But if you're not playing redraft, you may not know that info. You may not know how high a player is going. You may not know Miles Gaskin is actually going pretty high in dynasty, but even higher in redraft. Right. So like some of that stuff. And if you're if you're a dynasty league player and you start and say you start losing your own four, those are the players you ship off. You say, all right, listen, I know this guy's got value. He's scoring tons of points this year, but I'm not I don't value him at all in my dynasty league. Maybe now's the time to send him away for a good package. Right. So it's the same thing. You can get a ton of great value because I think a lot of times dynasty managers are looking at the future and not looking at the the spot in front of them. And I mean, Rocky, you and I have talked about this where it's like value is something, but points are more important. You know, championships are more important than a pretty roster, right? Like we need to win a title. Otherwise, what are we doing this for? You know what I mean? Oh, you're patting yourself on the back. Go have fun with that. But I'll win a title every year if I can. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad you expanded on that, Andrew, because that was that was my favorite point that Sigma made there. I think I, I think even earlier in the I, mean, I definitely agree that especially starting now as we get into August, it, you should be sort of switching your mind into more of a redraft mode. But I think during the offseason, a lot of dynasty managers take too much of a long view. You need to have some somewhat of a long view, but a lot of times, I mean, like you said, we've talked about it. We we sacrifice points at the at the altar of youth or or whatever. So uh, I, I love that point. I, and just to to take the you know, I said I said or vice versa. I do think dynasty definitely helps you in redraft as well, though it it makes you more aware of. I think it makes you more aware of basically the entire league. Basically, like like. I, a lot of redraft players probably don't even know who Xavier Jones is, for example. Um, or, or it helps. I definitely think it helps you with your rookies. Like my my uh, my longtime redraft home league last year. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people knew who Jonathan Taylor was, but I was super high on him from watching film, from from knowing more about him than I think your casual redraft player would. Uh, I definitely think it helps. Uh, I got heavy into Dynasty uh, in my in my around three or four years ago uh, with the, with the, you know, becoming sort of the degenerate dynasty player that a lot of us are. And uh, I've won two or three uh, titles in that redraft league since then. I think it's helped a lot um, where I'd only won, I think once before. So uh, yeah, so I definitely think dynasty can also inform redraft a lot, but I love the points you guys made on the other end. Um, so let's get into the last question before we get into some of these players we're going to talk about. And and this, uh, the inspiration for this one actually came from, I think you asked someone on your pod segment, some, this question, uh, I don't think it was specific to dynasty. It might've been redraft. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting question to ask. And, and it, it's what is the biggest mistake that dynasty owners make? And I think you just said fantasy owners or fantasy managers um, when you had asked it, but I, I loved that question. So I wanted to ask it to you and see, and see what your answer was in terms love, of dynasty. Yeah. And I love that Andrew said pretty rosters. I think yes. that that's, that's it. Right. So I think that dynasty teams can look at their roster and really just want a roster that everybody covets and has all of these future possibilities, growth potential, and they never understand how to flip the switch into instant gratification, into winning the championship, because you don't get points. It's not a beauty contest. It's so funny that you said pretty, Andrew, because that's how I think of the mistake. They believe that Dynasty is a beauty contest for rosters where at the end of the year everybody votes like the judges and figure skating and that's how we determine who wins the championship wouldn't that, that be a fun league though my god well, could you imagine there, like everybody votes <laughs> yeah there you go and so take it and run with it folks because yeah. you know fantasy football formats are burgeoning right. everywhere so let's have a fantasy football aesthetics um, <laughs> like yeah all of all <laughs> the players on my roster names rhyme or something uh <laughs> right so you know you and and 
every year in Dynasty Leagues, I mean, guys, how many times, and I know this isn't true about your team, Rocky, but other than Rocky's two teams that won <laughs> in the last three years, how many times is the best team or the team with the most value on the roster the team that wins the championship? Almost never. Yes. So, so you know, it's still about in-season management. It's still about lineup setting. Remember that art? Lineup setting um, that is very much at the center of DFS, of redraft. So, you know, these things, you can't get too hung up on too much youth. I see a lot of delayed gratification. I like the question that Andrew asked, like, if you're a rebuilding team, why are you trading a first for Cam Akers? You know, uh, like, run these scenarios through your mind and, and understand. You know, I've seen folks blow up teams, and I get it, look. Let me step back and say this. Fantasy football is still mostly about maintaining your mental health and your sanity, all right? So I get it if like sometimes you're like, I want to make a trade. I want to blow up a team. I just want to do something. I want to release some endorphins. I may regret it in the future. I don't care. So putting that aside, I see sometimes people doing things where if you continue to push off the rebuilding window further into the future, it's never going to come. I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, and maybe this year they're actually going to turn. They had a really good draft. They got Clem, one of the Clemson quarterback commits is, is <laughs> going to play baseball for the Pirates. That sounds pretty good, right? But I'm probably going to be sad for a long time. Don't be sad for a long time <laughs> by pushing off your gratification to the future. Yeah, and I, I again, I just go on this exact tangent because I think a lot of times, especially in July, it's all about the rosters, right? That's all we have. There are no points. So all we're seeing is, I drafted this team, or this is my team going in, it's a contender and all this. But then I think sometimes people get the the endorphin hit from that and think that's what it's all about. And I think, Siggy, put it perfectly, where that they're aiming for the perfect roster when they should be aiming for the functional roster, right? There is a difference between form and function in fantasy football. I just read an article for Fantasy Pros. It was talking about drafting for balance with risk versus you know safety and all this. Like You have to really play the game in a couple of different levels of chess. And you can play it as 1D chess if you want, and that's fine if you're into that. But I think I have more fun making it more interesting and being like, okay, well, let's look at the risk profiles of my team. If everybody on my team is a top-tier guy, but they're all really risky, I'm more likely to move one and be like, I need a little stability. You know, give me something like a Cooper Cup. Give me somebody who like a not a Tyler Lockett, right? Let me get rid of him and get some like bonus on my flex because it depends on how your team is built. And that's what you notice when you get into October and November and December is like, can I win a week, right? I might have the prettiest roster, but if these guys are all hit or miss and they all miss in week 14 and I'm out of the playoffs, what's the point? Like sometimes you just need to win a week. You know, sometimes you just need that guy that puts up 12 points to score 12 points, right? Like, let's just get me that base. Let's just move on. I don't need to dominate my opponent. I need to squeak out a 98 to 96 win to advance. Like that's sometimes more often than not by that point of the season, that's a good week, right? Like, let's just take the win. Let's just do what we got to do to get the W. And then, yeah, there are definitely dynasty players. I see it all the time as the season goes on where they stop setting lineups. Okay, come on. Like, I know that it's a dynasty league. It's a grind. We've been, we do it all year long and all this. And there are, there are leagues that have rules with potential points to try to prevent some of that. And, and I get all of that. But at the same time, you should still be setting your lineups, even if you're putting in what you think is maybe not your best lineup, right? If you're going to say, well, I'm, I'm going to put in the riskier players. That's fine. That's still setting your lineup. You're making a decision. So I just, some of those things kind of frustrate me where it's like, are you trying to win or not? Like, are you in this or not? And I think if you're not going to be in it or if your heart's not in it, that's a whole different conversation. But if you're in it for pretty rosters, come join my leagues. I love those players. I'm a fan <laughs> yeah. of that. I've got a couple guys in my home league that just all they ever ask in the chat is, yeah, but who's got the best receivers? And then I just immediately go, does it, it's July. That doesn't matter. Like, are you, what? 
But here we are. They were all looking for something to talk about. And I guess it's bragging rights in some regard. So, yeah, I mean, again, if that's how you have fun, knock yourself out. Right. And my, you know, my answer to this question was just kind of going along the same thing you guys said. So uh, it's just, yeah, I think the it's the overvaluation of, of youth and which basically, you know, equates to pretty rosters. Every, everybody wants the young guy. They want the next guy. They, they, they don't care about the guy who's going to score them a bunch of points this year. You know, the receivers 29 year, 28, now 29 years old. Now we don't want him. You know, we don't want DeAndre Hopkins on our team. We don't we don't want Devontae Adams on our team. He's too old. That's the thing that I think. And you don't want you don't want a roster full of those guys, obviously. Uh, but but I think people try too hard to, to, to get rid of those guys. Uh, a lot of dynasty managers do anyway, um, at the expense of uh, of possibly winning so, or scoring a bunch of points. So uh, I'm basically just agreeing with you two, I think, uh, on what we're saying here is that is that don't necessarily you know throw out all the old guys you know get it get a mix is basically get 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 some of those old guys that are going to score you points and you can have some of those other guys you know you can get a Jonathan Taylor who's still young and and it will also score you points or DeAndre Swift you may not have his best year this year but he's still going to score you some points and is young uh, guys like that and then and then get also those DeAndre Hopkins those Devontae Adams Ezekiel Elliott this year I, I think is going to score a ton of points um, and, and a lot of people are starting to fade him some so so yeah I, I'm basically agreeing with you too I, I think that's that's the key is 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 don't overvalue youth or, or pretty rosters or, or that kind of thing too too much if you do I just feel like you will you will probably if you do that you're going to be in the mix every year, but I, I think the championships are going to be few and far between. Sure. Yeah. And I think too, just something else that Sig said, it just keeps kind of bouncing around in my brain is those people that like, you just get the itch and want to blow your team up. I, I am all for running your team, how you want to run your team, right? I am not here to dictate and say to you, don't do this because that's bad. No, if you have fun with it, go nuts, right? That's not what we're saying. None of us are saying if you have fun building a pretty roster and are fine losing championships, go right ahead. That's perfectly fine. I prefer the other method. And I think the mistake sometimes gets used as a way to kind of, and I don't want to say shame, but I kind of come down on others for not doing it our way. Oh, no, 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 no. You do it your way. If you have fun with it, I definitely have leagues where I trade a lot more than others, where the league itself is more active and I just have fun trading and I really don't care how the league goes. I just have fun talking to these people and, and sending trade offers and doing the negotiations. And then the season comes along and I'm like, oh, okay, well, they're all going to be too busy. I'll just wait till January. You know what I mean? Like that's for me, that's the fun of that league. And there's nothing wrong with that right? That's the entry fee I'm paying is for that fun. And so if you have fun doing it different, don't mistake what we're saying. We're not saying you're doing it wrong. It's more of like, this is how I think it's more fun or how we think to do it or how we have experienced the more fun. And maybe that's the advice we're giving. But yeah, I, I don't like when people try to, you know, crap on my cornflakes and say, no, that's not how you should do it. Like, no, come on, man. You're, you're having fun. That's all that matters. What I don't like, I guess the biggest thing then is have fun. If you're not having fun, then why are you here? Right. And I, we all have people in leagues that we're with, you know, we're friends with or whatever that you can just tell they're unhappy. That's the only mistake I really think we should hit on is that if you're unhappy, maybe you get out of that league. Right. Find something else to do. This is a, a hobby that's meant to be fun. It's meant to be loose and light and kind of give us a distraction from the real world, not meant to bring us down. So, yeah, I mean, just that's the only mistake I think that I really want to hit on is if you're not having fun, find something else that is fun. That's fine. It's not a problem. No one's going to complain. It's better for everyone. <laughs> 
It's funny you mentioned that too. I think that the, the shame sometimes goes the other way too. I know, I know I've been accused of having too, uh, in some of my dynasty leagues, of having too redrafty of a, of a roster. Um, yep. So, uh, you know, the, some of the hardcore players, you know, you know, look at that and, and, and think that's, you know, that's the bad thing. That's the thing you should be shamed for. But um, okay. So we'll, we'll move on to, like I said, what was uh, originally our kind of main topic for the show. We're now already a half hour in, but um, uh, we wanted to talk about some uh, polarizing fantasy players heading into the 2021 season. Uh, so I guess this is a little bit more of a, of a redrafty topic, but it factors into like, like Sigmund said, we should be moving into redraft mode now as well. Anyway, as dynasty players. Um, so we had some players here. Uh, we may not get to all of them, but uh, I wanted to talk about some of these guys. Uh, the first I had on here was Joe Mixon. Um, and uh, <laughs> he, I feel like everybody either seems to love or hate Joe Mixon. You're either Joe Mixon truther or you're the guy, you know, or girl who says that, you know, he's he's never really lived up to his potential. What are we still drafting Joe Mixon for? So, so Sigmund, where, where are you at on Joe Mixon? I'll take a chance on him Be- in the second round. Because you're going to get a true full workload back. And this is going to be the best version of the Bengals offense he's been in yet. And he was coming on last year. I know they started slow, but he was coming on last year. He did have one of those when your week, uh, when your whole week for you weeks, I think the week before he left with the foot injury. Um, I feel reasonably reassured that he didn't have surgery on the foot, although maybe we should wish that he did have surgery on the foot. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be watching how he's handled in camp closely but the good news is this uh samaj p ryan is a clear backup so if you have misgivings about mixon don't take him that's fine but if you do and you want to hedge p ryan's free basically at the end of drafts he can be an every down back for them and we've seen giovanni bernard have some success uh, at least enough success to be relevant uh so it makes it easier it isn't like ezekiel elliott where you have to take tony pollard in the ninth round it isn't like aaron jones where you have to take aj dylan in the 10th round or something like that p ryan is really cheap mixon's going to get a ton of opportunity and i think we should all be excited to see what the Bengals offense does this year no i'm right there with you i mean you can see the the ocho cinco jersey in the background yeah. i'm a Bengals fan let's go who day uh, but all that aside, I am a Mixon fan until I'm not, is what I always say to people. Like, I am a fan of his until he lets me down, and then I hate the guy, right? And then I'm back to being a fan. Like, all right, let's be a fan again. Like, that's fine. Um, and I think, again, you, you hit the hit the nail perfectly again. So when second round, I love it. His value in the second is terrific to me because I think he's got first-round potential, but you don't have to pay that price, right? He's one of those guys that can see 300 touches easily. There aren't that many of them left, right? Like, let's be honest, those workout workhorse kind of bell cow backs are just getting fewer and further between. And the Bengals did a lot. They said a lot to us when they let Gio go. They said, we're going to lean on Mixon. And P-, P. Ryan, as you just said, is free for a reason. He's not the same talent. Otherwise, he'd be starting somewhere else. He's not the same talent as Gio, or he would have been ahead of Gio last year. So there, there really is a very big gap behind Mixon to P. Ryan. So I think your your point was actually very well put, is that if you don't trust Mixon, you must trust Pirine then. Because Pirine's free, why not? Like, what are you risking on that? You got all reward at that point. And if you're out on Mixon, I get it. I understand it. Like, he has burned a lot of people. I traded for him in my in my home redraft league last year. Uh, he blew up that one week, and then I didn't see him the rest of the year. But that one week was the difference maker that got me in the playoffs. So you never know, right? Like, he, that, I could look at that and say, Mixon won me that week, and therefore I love him. But I didn't have him for the rest of the season. But he got me the win that I needed. So, I mean, again, it, it's all in context. I think Mixon at this point, as 
has one of the higher ceilings in running backs that we're seeing in that low end uh, running back one, high end running back two. He could be a top five running back at the end of the year. And then all of his haters will just go, yeah, well, he stinks. He stinks anyway. Right? <laughs> there will be all this uh, sour grapes going on. So it's like it doesn't really matter if you like him, get him, I guess. But I, I would love to get Mixon again as a Bengals fan and as a fantasy fan. I think he's going to do great in both regards. Yeah, and I'm I'm basically I think with you guys. I, I it's funny we we would put on this list of polarizing players and I, with the idea of their you know one way or the other. And I'm kind of in the middle of mixing actually, ah, okay. um, uh, just because um, I just I I can see the point of, of we've never really gotten from them what we've been expecting. Uh, but that offense just looks like it could be so good this year as long as the line can hold up. Um, and the talent is there. I mean, you can you can see it, um, you know, in past years. Um, he did have, uh, you know, he has had low-end RB1, high-end RB2 seasons. So uh, there's just such a ceiling there that I, I'm willing to, 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 you know, bet on him uh, for this year at least and, and see how it goes. So... I, I fall on more, uh, yeah, the, the positive side on Mixon on this one as well. So let's move on to our next player, which is one I know uh, I know Sigmund uh, is very interested in, which is uh, specifically as it relates to Dynasty, year one Kyle Pitts. I think everyone in Dynasty believes Kyle Pitts is eventually going to be great. Uh, but th- there's definitely this, this notion out there, uh, if you look on Twitter, that Oh, I I can buy Kyle Pitts cheaper than the value he's going for because tight rookie tight ends never perform uh, up to expectations, and people will sell him cheap, which which I do not believe at all. Unless Kyle Pitts has a seventeen game healthy season and is just awful, no one is selling Pitts cheaper than what they got him for. I don't think. But but what do you think, Sigmund, in terms of dynasty and in terms of just this year for Kyle Pitts? Oh, I love it. I mean, I want I want a ticket. <laughs> I want to be on that ride. By the way, real quick on Mixon, just to put a finer point on it. Um, you're going to be choosing between him and Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, uh, or your favorite wide receiver that's not named Tyreek Hill. It, it, it's really where the rubber meets the road on that choice, and it's not easy. Um, look, with Kyle Pitts, I made this speech so much, people are going to be able to mouth the words as I say it. <laughs> because, I mean, it, it's a straightforward case. I don't care what any other rookie tight end has done before, except maybe Mike Ditka, because there has never been a rookie tight end who was drafted in the top five, who was drafted as the first non-quarterback off the board. And then if you're not persuaded by that, by those factors that scream outlier, then look at the opportunity he's going to have. I don't care which tight end, you know, guys, we could have been talking about, you know, Tommy Tremble or something. If he had gotten drafted by Atlanta, we would be interested in him. I mean, maybe not to the extent that we're in pits, obviously. But the point is, from a structural point of view, the I'd like to say, call it a Julio Jones-sized hole in the target pie chart, right? And that's Kyle Pitts. And if you want a little more of a nudge, Arthur Smith is a tight end coach. Um, I did a rant on a show earlier this week with Pat Doherty. Is Arthur Smith an offensive genius? Well, you might say all he did was just use what he had in Tennessee. Maybe that's what an offensive genius is. They just that look at the players. Sounds pretty smart to me. Yeah, right? like that's what Bill Belichick does too, right? He's yeah. a genius. Like, how is that? Yeah, I'm with you. What do you got? Use what you got. And in this case, they have one of the best mismatched tight ends that we've ever seen. So all these things to me line up for, we don't know. So I'll write an article this year for the first time, although I talk about this a lot. I love unknown upside. 
I love players where we don't know how good they can be. And what's fun about this is you can look around the league, like for instance, those Bengals, right? We don't know how good Joe Burrow can be if he has at least a mediocre offensive line and Mixon, um, and plus he has Chase and everything back. We don't know what Zach Taylor's offense will look like if he can actually run it true to its concepts. We don't know how good the Rams can be. We already talked about Matthew Stafford with that upgrade at quarterback. There's a lot of these. We don't know how good the Jags passing game could be with an actual functional quarterback. We don't know how good the Jets could be, although I want to take a moment out to say, not to bring everything down, but it it just came across the wire that Greg Knapp, who was going to be the passing game coordinator for the Jets, passed away today. Oh, goodness. He he was hit uh, riding his bicycle earlier, like about, uh, I think it was over the weekend. Um, It's just terrible news because Greg Greg Knapp has been involved in a lot of quarterback success stories, and I'm not going to immediately make this about Zach Wilson or football analysis. Who cares about that right now? Because... There's a lot of members of football families that are mourning his loss. And he was a part of a lot of great successes. And he was also part of a lot of great lasting relationships. And that's what the NFL is more than anything else. It's a league of relationships. Um, But the Jets, you know, I mean, the Jets fall into this camp conversation too. Is it, you know, how good could this offense be now that Adam Gase is gone, right? Like what's the Adam Gase effect for a whole team? (laughs) You know, we saw what it did for the Dolphins. So I want to buy into those situations where we just don't know how good they can be. Let's find out with players that are part of those situations on my roster. And I think we have no idea how good Kyle Pitts could be. Okay, Kyle Pitts could come out there first week against Philly. Oh, I like that. I like that. I mean, who does Philly have among their linebackers and tight ends? I mean, linebackers and safeties, you would say. Well, there's your... Uh, Kyle Pitts stopper. I mean, Kyle Pitts could easily have like eight for 120 and two touchdowns in the first week, and and then it's over. The door is closed already. And this is the time of year, speaking of switching to redraft mode, that I really love to look at those first few weeks of the schedule and see who can get off to a hot start. For Tampa, sure. Tampa Bay, the Giants. What do those sound like to me? I mean, Tampa Bay. I think this is a game that Atlanta's gonna have to throw a lot. Like. The Giants, I think, have always had vulnerability against tight ends. We'll see, you know, Xavier McKinney could actually play this year. That'd be nice. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think that with Kyle Pitts, your window is before the season starts. And uh, I, I'm happy to be carrying the flag for this because I just like unicorns. I, I want to believe in unicorns. Well, uh, let me ask you this, though, Seg, on that topic. If, let's say, and this is not going to happen. So I, this is not me manifesting it like I was doing yeah. with Adrian Peterson. But let's say the Falcons line pits up as a wide receiver more, and he's now a, a wide receiver in fantasy. Where would he rank for you in wide receivers? Would he be ahead of Chase as a rookie, or would he be like as a similar rookie? Would he be lower than that? Like I know it's a value position, yeah. which is very different. Right. What I'm saying is a lot of his value just because he's in that position of tight end where we don't have a lot of studs. Or is it his value of a, a solid, talented receiver in that offense? Like, where do you see the difference, I guess? I would still, I would not have him ahead of Chase, but I would still have him ahead of Waddle and Smith. And I still believe we can look to Darren Waller and we can look to Travis Kelsey and we can look to George Kittle, although Kittle hasn't really had that tight end touchdown uh, fest season yet. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but we can look at, you know, we could ask this question about Travis Kelsey. Sure. If Travis, if Travis Kelsey was listed strictly as a wide receiver, he's still a second round pick. Um, if if Darren Waller was strictly as a wide receiver, he's still a third round pick, maybe early fourth round pick. So I don't think that Pitts would lose. I mean, look, Pitts might lose. And this is where we get into the nebulous things with numbers, right? Sure. 
because Pitts might lose like 33% of his value if he gets a wide receiver. But if he's already like he is on my board, the number one rookie, then he's still a top two or top three rookie. Um, so, you know, and it's going to be interesting too, because you bring this up and it's funny, you can fast forward to do the math in my head, like 2026, whenever they put a franchise tag on him and he's like, I want the wide receiver franchise yep. tag money. It's, it's kind coming. Of yeah. He's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy to test it. When I think too in fantasy, those, those stud tight ends are just so rare, right? Yeah. There's there's what five, six, maybe six guys that you want to draft, and there's mm-hmm. twelve in most leagues that want those six guys. That positional scarcity is huge. That ups his value right there. But again, if you're looking at wide receiver, even if you start three, that's thirty six starters. There are probably thirty receivers that I'm okay with, right? The scarcity is just not there at receiver. So adding him to that bunch, I think lowers his value significantly. Now, I'm not saying he should be a receiver. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not advocating for that. I'm not saying that. You know, he's not talented or anything. I'm just saying that positional scarcity, I think, helps his value a lot right now. Yeah. And it should. I mean, it, that's exactly right. He's a tight end. He, he is a rare beast. And I do think that there is some value in there. But to kind of go back to what Rocky said, year one tight ends do struggle sometimes uh, in new offenses and learning a new system and, and kind of being a pro for the first time in his life. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on this guy. We've seen a lot of first round players that just don't hit, even though they've got all the the metrics hitting exactly where we want. And then they hit the field and nothing, right? Like Nikhil Harry comes to mind, right? One of those guys that was a no doubt, no brainer, first round rookie pick, number one overall. And I can't trade him for a fourth round pick right now, right? So it's like, it's one of those things where I'm not saying that that's pits either. I'm just saying that the wide range of outcomes makes me nervous. Right. And especially for a scarce position like tight end, if I'm drafting pits, I'm not drafting anyone else. Right. I'm all in. I'm, I'm passing on the other late round tight ends. I'm passing on guys like potentially passing on guys like A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf at that range. In some drafts I've seen, he's going in the second, third, fourth area. There's a lot of terrific wide receiver talent still on the board. So you have to make that decision on how much risk you want on your team, right? To go back to that article I was mentioning, if you like the level of risk that pits adds because you're boring everywhere else, that's a terrific play. And there are definitely uh, benefits, I guess, to being all risky too, right? If you want to be a super risky team, you got to ride that wave. There are some teams where that is so much fun, right? Where you're just crushing opponents and the next week you're getting blown out, right? But it's like, it, it just varies, I guess, on how you want to manage things. I myself am probably passing on pits for more often than not, because I'd rather have Hawk. I'd rather have Andrews. I'd rather have Fant. I'd probably even rather have some of those later round guys like Higby or Everett and just take the risk on them. I think that they're already in the league. They're already kind of established and their cost is so much lower. Give me a stud tight end or sorry, a stud receiver instead of that risky tight end in most cases. Now, again, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with your take. I think he is a phenomenal talent and he went, uh, was it one pick before chase, right? Like that, that's, that's not, that's not much. That's one pick at the top of the NFL draft. I don't know if, I mean, again, I don't know if people really realize how good of a talent he is just because we always talk about him for fantasy, but once he starts making those plays, and like you said, the first couple weeks of the season, there's going to be a lot of victory lapping saying he was the right pick. He was the right guy. I'm glad I got him. But we should, I, I think we should pause on some of that. Depends on the defense. Let's look at it in context. And then at the end of the year, let's go back and just see how did he do consistently? Was he blocking in the right way? Was he playing the game the right way? Was he someone that the team could rely on? Because I think some of that stuff, especially in fantasy, gets kind of ignored, right? It's like, I don't really care how they do on the field. I don't care what they look like. What stats do they put up? Well, no, no, no. On the field is how they get points, right? If they're not on the field, they're not getting points. I mean, we like Alex Collins comes to mind, right? One of those guys that you're just like, I don't want Alex Collins, but damn it, he's putting up stats. I guess I got to take him at some point, right? Like, oh, I just don't like them, but eh, he's he's the starting running back. He's got, he's got the job. He's got the opportunity. And Pitts has got both right now, right? Like you said it perfectly. He's he's filling that that vacant targets 
sized hole, I guess, from Julio Jones, right? Not to use target vacancy as a thing. We're not getting into that because we all know how Peter Howard likes it. <laughs> but, but there is still some logic that that offense is going to need someone to be a talent to catch balls thrown their way, right? And that's going to be Pitts. They got rid of Julio for a reason. He, he was aging. They could get some draft capital out of him before he retired. They've got Gage and, and Olamide Zacchaeus and all this. Like They've got some other talent, but it's going to be Pitts. So, yeah, I am with you. I think it could be an interesting year to see what he does. He could break the mold entirely and just break out huge and be better than any tight end, rookie tight end we've ever seen. Yeah, and, and Andrew, I definitely get you right. I mean, the fact that he is a tight end increases his value immensely. Uh, I've spoken many times about how I'm an elite tight end guy, and it's because of the positional scarcity. That's, that's the big deal there. Um, but uh, And I do believe he is like, – I've heard, again, this notion that that he's, he's not – really a tight end I, I do believe he's going to be a tight end and i do think he's going to see some of the struggles that we see with tight ends i don't think they're just going to line him up all the time in the slot or out wide or all this stuff he will do some tight end things he will block some he will be on the line occasionally and i, I do think that i think that's a, probably a big factor in what causes the learning curve for tight ends so so i don't know that he's going to be this amazing uh, monster year one which is why I wanted to bring him up here. But I, I had a question for each of you um, as I was listening to both of you talk. Uh, Andrew, um, I know you were saying some of those lesser guys, maybe not lesser, but lower-valued guys uh, th that you would take over. I'm like, like uh, you, you know I love Hawk, and, and we're going to talk about him a little later and find me a trade. But um, like guys like Fan, is that, are you talking through Dynasty you'd rather have those guys, or, or are you thinking more redraft angle? So again, I, that's a great question. And I think uh, this is the time of year where my brain pivots to redraft and I'm looking only at this year only because the value is going to change from what we know now to what we know in six months. And so my logic is I'm, I'm kind of getting out of dynasty brain just because I feel like that that does you a disservice. Like we were saying before, if you're only looking at the long haul, you don't look at the short. My brain is sort of transitioning into this. What's he going to do for me this year? I'm not one of those guys that says I'm not going to draft Pitts because his value is going to go down and his owner is going to trade him to me for a discount. Not for Pitts, right? He's not. That's not his. That's not his deal. So whoever takes Pitts is keeping him until they you pry him from his cold dead fingers, right? <laughs> like that's just how it's going to go. And I'm fine with that. So my logic is more of I'd rather take a risk, a, a lower risk on a lower player, I guess, a lower tier, I guess, or cheaper player, right? As we're, we're saying values and things like that. I'd rather take a risk on someone like that where I'm not risking as much, right? If I'm spending $100 on a really fancy dinner, I don't want to go to Long John Silver's for that really fancy dinner. You know what I mean? Like that's a big risk for a $100 dinner. I'd rather go somewhere that's got ratings and reviews that I like. So for me, rookies are always a little bit risky just because of their nature. And like I said before, so I find myself almost always in a startup draft. I'm almost always missing on all the rookies just because I, I'd rather have them a little bit cheaper, a little bit cheaper and give me the known commodity. And then, of course, rookie drafts where they're all rookies, that's entirely different. So for me, it's not that I don't think Pitts is going to have a good dynasty value. I think Pitts is worth more than Fant dynasty wise, but he's riskier than Fant too. Right. And at that point, maybe I'd rather take a slight discount to get to a player that has a higher floor and a slightly lower ceiling at, at that position where I know I'm not going to get zeroed. I'm not going to get cratered every week because they just he can't pick up the playbook or he's not blocking. So they benched him as a punishment to teach him a lesson. Right. That happens a lot with these players that I think in fantasy, sometimes we ignore or, or just don't know or don't notice. Maybe that's all I'm saying. OK, so, yeah, so it sounds like probably um, basically in either uh, format. Uh, you know, you'd rather just pay the cheaper price and, and get a guy you still believe in uh, rather than take the risk. on. Yeah, I mean, if Pitts is there in the sixth in a redraft league, heck yeah, I'll snap him up, right? Like, that's fine with me, but I'm, he's not going there, right? Like, there are other people that are willing to take the risk earlier than me. That's what I'm finding so far. 
Okay, and then the the question I had for Sigmund is: I know you've talked about on the uh, the football guys pods that uh, you've started doing projections. I'm just curious as as a as a Pitts, a huge Pitts fan, uh, what you see for him year one. I I I, mean, I don't know that you have your projections up in front of you. You're going to remember off the top of your head, but yeah. just generally. Yeah, I can pull up my projections. Um, it just takes a second, but I, I'll say this: he will be as good as he can be. And what I mean by that is well that yes. you know <laughs> they will give him the opportunity. His role will grow to whatever he's capable of. So you know, if they come out again, what were the reports we heard in OTAs? The writer saying, "I don't think I saw him line up at the same spot two snaps in a row." I mean, it's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, he's a found he's a foundational player. Mm. So you know, one of the points I like to make is. Uh, who were the first non-quarterbacks taken off the board in the last five drafts, right? Players like Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa, Chase Young, Saquon Barkley, okay, Miles Garrett. Um, these are foundational players. These are players that represent an astronomically high confluence of talent and skill, right? They're not just projections based on measurables. Um, they're not just players who are very skilled at the game, but you know, only have a limited room to grow. These are players that have both the opportunity uh, in terms of measurables and tools to be the best in the game, but also have exhibited great acumen for the game. And, and Pitts absolutely qualifies. Another thing to remember about this, too, is the Falcons could have traded out of the number four pick easily. And as a footnote, by the way, I think this little things, guys, the little things go unnoticed. The Falcons signed A.J. McCarron on Friday of the draft weekend after the first round. And when they asked uh, uh, Fontenot and Arthur Smith, hey, did you guys, like, maybe would you not be signing A.J. McCarron today if the first round went differently? They were like, oh, you, you look too much into what we do. We're not thinking about that. I have no idea what you're talking about. So, yeah, they were grinning when they were asked that question. So the Falcons were open to a lot of things in the first round at number four they could have traded down they easily could have traded down maybe not for classic number four jimmy johnson pick chart value but this is a team that's starting over terry fontenot starting over this is his first pick as a gm okay um so it's meaningful and uh, yeah how, so pitts i mean i think pitts absolutely has a ceiling to be the number three fantasy tight end this year he's not going to catch kelsey that's just too perfect and i think waller is on his way up I think a lot of folks need to go back and look at what Waller did in December and understand that that's the arrow pointing at where he's going to be this year. And that's the only heartbreak in redraft is you draft, you know, if Kelsey's there at seven or eight, or if Waller's there in the second round. I mean, maybe this is the year we do go tight end, tight end. If, if Pitts falls to the fourth or fifth round and you price and force, and you basically just say, like, I'm not going to let a player that good fall. I can trade, if I took Waller in the second and I, if Pitts hits, I can trade one of them you know, because yep. of how valuable that stud tight end is. They're going to give him the opportunity to do as much as he possibly can. And I think that we may see very early that he can do a lot, a lot. So and again, guys, going back to what Andrew was saying, which I thought you put really well, like have fun. And to me, it's fun to take players that there's a big reveal. The my be, guys. Yeah. Right? You can be like, that's my guy. I'm, I'm reaching for him. I'm taking it. There's nothing better than when that hits, right? Yeah. I'm with it. It's just definitely Sig's guy. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Well, and the only reason he is, guys, look, I'm not like the biggest fan of Kyle Pitts in the world. Like, if you go back into the draft process, I wasn't carrying the banner for Kyle Pitts. It was simply the reaction of the fantasy community. Well, no rookie tight end, except for Mike Ditka. Don't forget Ditka. No rookie <laughs> tight end has ever really done it. So I'm not going to believe it till I see it. And some of it is, to me, pushing back against that mindset. I'm not going to believe it until I see it because outliers win fantasy leagues. And I understand that they're difficult to see coming, but we can at least look at the opening chapters of a player's story and say, this is what the opening chapters of an outlier story looks like. They don't all turn into outliers, but at the very least, we can take educated guesses because those are the players that win fantasy leagues. Players that hit their 50% mean projection don't mean anything in fantasy leagues. It's the outliers. And he, when folks were just rejecting him right out because of the history of rookie tight ends. I said, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's a bad him. argument. Yeah. Cause I mean, he, if he's a generational talent, none of that matters anyway. Right. Exactly. Like that, that's, you can't have it both ways. You can't say he's a generational talent and he'll do something. He will never do something. No one's ever done. Well, isn't that what a generational <laughs> exactly. talent is? Like, wait a and I want to believe in things that no one's ever seen done and not yeah. just in football. You know, it's just kind of my philosophy of life. I want to go through life as an optimist, believing those things can still happen. Even if they don't happen, I still get some value out of having a, rosier outlook as I live my one life on earth. Amen to that. But I think you, you said something there that I, I do want to kind of just piggyback on again here is that there are there is no one way to play this game, right? Like there is definitely a lot of ways that we can play fantasy football and all of us can have fun, which I think is what makes it so exciting because there isn't like one, like you, everybody likes to lean on ADP and say like, all right, well, that's what the value is. That's not true at all, right? How many times have we heard that? Well, who, I drafted so-and-so before him and, and therefore he's worth more. Like that's, it's week three, man. That draft doesn't matter anymore. Right. Values change all the time. And so I think that's always something that makes it fun is that you can value some somebody somebody differently than me. Like you can actually see their value in a different metric or see it at a different bit of upside or, or floor or whatever. And then we can value players differently. And that's what makes trades. Right. Both sides end up winning because they both got what they wanted. And if everybody had the same rankings, if we all agreed, how boring would this be? If we all were like, well, I drafted, I win. That was fun. Mm -hmm. Next, next up. Right. Like I, my team, based on projections, right. I have the most. Like, nope, that's not how it works. There is chaos. There is randomness. There is all sorts of ways that things can go down. And, and you can play it like the stock market, where if it's about to downturn, that's when you get out, right? And, and there's a bunch of ways to do this. And it just makes it so exciting. So again, I'm not out on pits. I just, I think my, my way of playing says I, I might want to wait a little bit and then pay that extra premium if he breaks out. I'm fine paying up. On the same tune, though, if you get him in the second round, let's say you reach for him. And by week three, he's not performing. You're not dropping him. You reached for him. He's your guy. You better hold on. So I've seen that too, where people say, oh, I'm going, I'm getting my guy. And then after three weeks, they want to trade him or drop him. And it's like, okay, but you you risked it. You've got to keep risking it. You know what I mean? Like, I think you're, you're either in or you're out, right? You can't do this halfway, you know, go all the way in. And if you're going to draft pits, go for it, man. Yeah. And uh, I, before we move on to the the, the, the next guy, because um, uh, I, I don't want to keep Sig all, all night here, but um, uh, I was just curious. Uh, I was just uh, this occurred to me as we were talking about Pitts. Uh, I, I think I know Andrew's answer to this, but and Pitts. Uh, I was thinking about Scott Fishbowl, the one redraft league we've already done so far. Did did you happen to get Pitts in, in your Scott Fishbowl draft, Sig? I, I did not. He was going too early for my liking. 311. I got him at 311. 311. Yeah. That's and not no, bad, actually. I've seen him go earlier in a lot of drafts. And tight end is a premium position in that. In league. that league. It is. Definitely. Um, yeah, in another premium. tight end premium, pros versus Joe's, a best ball draft, I drew the fifth pick and I took Darren Waller in the fifth, knowing that if Kyle Pitts fell to 3 5, I would take him and go for the tight end squeeze. He went at 3 4. Oh. So. 
in the tight end premium, I said that's a great. I mean, for those of you doing FFPC out there, if you can, if you have an early first draft slot and you can pair up Pitts with your Dalvin Cook or your Christian McCaffrey, and then come around and you may see, I think in that draft, Aaron Jones fell to two twelve. You know, you can because you want to be going running back and tight end early in these drafts, especially best ball drafts. So it, it, the third round seems to be the strike zone. That being said, guys, you and all I, you, both of y'all, know that. You know, something can happen in training camp, a quote or a practice where all the observers say, my Lord, Kyle Pitts is making everybody look like little JV children out here. And wow, is it going to be something to see him unveiled? And guess what? He did it in the SEC, so it won't be that shocking. He's only 20 years old, folks. <laughs> okay, and let's uh, real fast. I want to yeah. get into. We have some uh, quarterbacks on this yeah. list. I want to try and run through real yes, fast, sir. and then we'll move on to find me a trade so we can okay. we can finish up here. Um, the The first uh, one is actually two. Uh, is uh, the the New Orleans quarterback situation? I definitely feel that's kind of polarizing. There's there's Taysom truthers. There's Jameis truthers. Um, so you're you're I believe in New Orleans, correct? So. Yes, sir. Yeah, so I'm very interested to get your take. I, I'm a Jameis guy. I just yeah. I don't think Taysom is very good. Uh, I I don't know that they can win. I know they won while Breeze was out last year. You know, I think three or four games or something like that. But uh, I just don't think they can sustain it without a real quarterback who can pass right. them. I mean, he he had a decent completion percentage, but it, just the eye test, he did he did not pass it very well. So uh, other than his rushing ability, so. So, what's your thoughts on on that battle? There's been more uh, buzz about Taysom uh, in the, in the news recently about him possibly being the starter. So, what do you think? Yeah, it was a recent Ben Valin, I think, from the Boston Globe said, you know, league insiders say that Taysom's going to get a shot to begin the season, and you know, it wasn't Taysom's going to win the job outright or he's favored. It's more like he's going to get the first shot, which. Okay, I mean, I can't say there's a zero percent chance of that, but it's getting the shot until he face plants. And with Green Bay and Carolina's not so bad, New England, the Giants, Washington, these are the first five games of the year for the Saints, and they have a week six bye. So if it is Hill out of the gate, I would say temporarily Hill, because I think you're right. When you watch him as a quarterback, it's, there's just not a lot of the process there that melds with Sean Payton and Pete Cartmichael's. Uh, offense pass offense and i think that they've been grooming Jameis winston to be that guy i think that Jameis winston is definitely the favorite all local sources with differing variants differing agree degrees of um certainty say look for it to be winston um and this is obviously important because then how do we value michael thomas how do we value alvin kamara how do we value traquan smith how do we value adam troutman based on who's going to be the quarterback. And the way it's been told to me is the reason Taysom Hill played ahead of Jameis Winston last year was Peyton wanted to see what he could do. They had Atlanta coming up in two of the next three weeks, which uh, Atlanta could never handle Taysom Hill. Um, the second game was Denver, which was the debacle with Kendall Hinton at quarterback. Hinton's actually having a good spring, by the way. He might make the team as a wide receiver. And uh, New Orleans only scored like nine points in that game, didn't they? Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a slop fest. Yeah. And then they lost to the Eagles. They lost to the Eagles in, in a game, there you go, that you know was one of the few bright spots for the Eagles last year. And I think that if Breeze wasn't ready to play, and he really might not have been ready to play anyway, I think we would have seen Winston the next week. I think that was the end of the, okay, let's see what Taysom Hill can do. We saw what Taysom Hill can do. Uh, one other thing I want to point out just in this um, debate is that Hill doesn't have to just beat out Winston. He has to beat out Winston and the change-up value of Hill. 
right? Because if it's Hill for the whole game, then the then teams you, are prepared yeah. for everything that Hill does. But if you have Hill, because you can see how for some teams, again, like Atlanta, it puts them into a bit of a tilt. To ha- oh, Taysom Hill's out here. Now we have to totally change our mindset. Now we have to totally change our assignments. Now we have to, sometimes they get them to waste a time out or something, you know? Um, and I think that is another reason that folks should be on the Winston side of this when they're projecting everyone else on this team and making their late round picks a quarterback. That That's a great point I hadn't considered that, that if, yeah, if you have Hill as your starter, you lose the, the, the Hill coming into the game aspect that we know Peyton loves. I mean, he did it with the Hall of Fame quarterback for, for multiple years here. He, he loves using that that Taysom Hill, uh, you know, uh, Swiss Army knife uh, kind of idea. And I do think we're going to see uh, if Winston plays. I, I, I've i heard some people say that there's going to be like more of a split than we've ever seen. I, I don't necessarily agree with that either, but I do think we will see him more than, than, than we did with Drew Brees. Um, and the other thing that you said there that – uh, I was kind of interested about it. Is a Kamara because everyone thinks if Taysom plays, Kamara is going to be like basically like trash or something. Um, uh, my my contention has been that that you know that was a four game sample size. I think if if Peyton decides to make Hill the quarterback, he's he's going to scheme ways to get Kamara the ball, uh, regardless of who the quarterback is. It, it didn't happen last year, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen for 17 games this year. But uh, what do you think, Andrew, before we move on to the next quarterback? Well, I think if uh, if it were me and I was, let's say I'm Sean Payton, let's say I transmutate myself into a, a pro-level NFL coach, which is never going to happen. But if I had both of these guys, I would start them both. And by that, I mean the, the change, stick it, it perfectly, the change is everything. Well, you can only have a delta if you have something to change from, right? So if you're always starting Taysom Hill, you don't have that change. So what I would do is I would start Taysom at tight end and Jameis the quarterback on the first play. They're both starting. What are you going to do? And then you see what the defense Billy does. You, you, yeah, you run some weird option. Taysom <laughs> throws the ball to Jameis. Or what, and you just use them both as gadgets because I think that's the best method for your team to win the game. Because then but the defense has to prepare for both, and they're drastically different styles. So what you end up doing is you read the game. You play the hot hand in a sense. What they say with running backs, you do the same with quarterbacks. right? You put Taysom in for a series. If he goes one for three for seven yards and it's a three and out, all right, all right, we're going to Jason next time because what that's going to do, or we're going to go to Jameis next time because what that's going to do, the defense is put them on their heels. Now they got to look and go, oh, he's going to throw it long. Nope, he's going to go dink and dunk short. And then, oh, Taysom's on the, on the hill, on Taysom Hill's back in on third down. Like it just causes this chaos throughout the entire game. So there's no benefit for the Saints to pick one. I don't see the benefit to do that. Uh, they know what they're doing. They're in practice. They don't need to tell anyone what they're doing. So in all honesty, for fantasy, I, I would probably rather have Jameis because I think in my quarterback slot, he's going to put up more points. But it's very possible or likely that the Saints call Taysom Hill their starter because he's in there on the first play of the game. That's your starter. Right. So, like, I don't know if the, the term starter matters. So right? you like do think it might be more of an evener split? I don't want to say it's going to be evener. Evener is not a word, but it's even gonna, split. It's going to be an evener then. split. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> well, we shouldn't assume. I think the bottom line, what I'll add to what you're saying, Andrew, is because of the way Peyton has handled Hill to this point, like you said, taking Hall of Fame quarterback off the field, then we shouldn't assume we know that what Peyton does with this quarterback situation will resemble what other coaches have done exactly. with quarterback situations before. If you have a gadget, you use him, right? I, I don't see the only thing I think that we won't see is we will not see Taysom on the bench for the entire game at all this year. Right. Right. He will no. be on the field yeah. at some point, right? And what that means, at least for me from fantasy, is that I don't necessarily think I want him at right now because I don't know what I'm getting with him. 
he could be in there for three plays and catch three touchdowns. We have no idea, right? His range of outcomes is probably the biggest in all of fantasy. At the same time, Jameis, I think, gives you a solid QB play. So for fantasy, I'd rather have Jameis. If he's in there, it's because they want him in there. And he's not a gadget. He's an actual QB. So I don't think I have Taysom on any rosters. I don't think I'm planning on drafting him at all unless, like, as a QB5, right, like in the eighth or, or sorry, 18th round, like some crazy late flyer, why not a super flex, right? He's got some crazy value if things get hurt. I mean, heck, if Jameis gets hurt or doesn't play well, Taysom could be the starter down the stretch, right? So, like, there is still some value there. But, man, it's that's going to be a fun one to watch just from an NFL standpoint, just to turn that game on and be like, all right, what's Sean Payton got up his sleeve this time? You know what I mean? Like, what is he doing to this defense? They're going to be so upset with him. <laughs> Agreed, agreed. Uh, okay, so the, the next guy, uh, and there's been some rumors, I think, kind of surrounding his situation as well recently, is is Tua Tungavailoa. Uh, a lot of people, me included, I, I think he's a little underrated because of last year didn't go so well. He got pulled for Fitzpatrick. Uh, he was a rookie. He was coming off a major injury in a COVID season. Uh, I, I can definitely see him making a jump this year. He's got... You know, they're not the most amazing weapons in the world, but he's got better weapons than he had last year. Um, but I definitely hear that sentiment that that people just think after one bad year, he's not even bad, just not great year. He wasn't Justin Herbert, uh, that that he's not the quarterback we all thought he was. So, uh, Sig, you, you see two improving in year two or what you didn't didn't sound too didn't look too yeah. positive with that look there. Well, I, he, he should improve and I'm rooting for Tua. He seems like a child of destiny. Um, they're putting everything in place to give him the opportunity to show them that they don't need to find another quarterback in the future next year when they have two first-round picks. Um, there's still lots of moving parts here, though. You have this co-offensive coordinator thing with George Godsey and Eric Studisville. You still have a youngish offensive line uh, where they still are trying to find the best roles for certain players. Um, I, and Here's the thing. Even if you love Tua, if you love Tua, take him as your second quarterback late in your draft. He does have mobility. And I think the glass half full take here is he wasn't really fully recovered from his hip injury. Uh, he wasn't as mobile. He wasn't as fluid, elastic, athletic as the quarterback we saw at Alabama. And then also Chan Gailey was unceremoniously shown the door at the end of the season. So maybe some of the offensive struggles were on Gailey as much as they were on Tua. And then you say, well, now they're going to create offensive alignment with his downfield passing, with his mobility, the continuity. I think that's the main thing that this co-offensive coordinator thing represents. They just wanted to keep some continuity for him. Uh, and then you have, as you said, the infusion of talent, guys like Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller. Um, this should give him the opportunity. But I don't see any other way you can really capitalize on it because the passing game is so crowded that, I don't know, if Fuller stays healthy, Fuller's the best receiver they have. If Fuller doesn't stay healthy, then Waddle is really interesting, and he's an unknown upside rookie. But then there's still Devontae Parker. There's still Mike Kosicki. Preston uh, Williams. We all loved him last Who year. had the best chemistry with Tua in right. the games. Um, yeah. Who we, you know, we've, Everyone just like collectively moved on from him, speaking of Achilles tears. So it's just I, what you're seeing, Rocky, on my face is more the puzzle that is the <laughs> Miami offense and how even if you did have a conviction into a improving and this offense improving, how would you take advantage of it? I'm not quite sure. And uh, unless you have a major point you want to add, Andrew, I'm going to just go to the last guy. Uh, I'll, I'll just jump in with this. I, I don't mind Tua. I don't. I, I think he is polarizing, and there's a lot of fantasy players that are out on him. But I think he's a fine starting quarterback. I'd love him as a QB two in superflex. So yeah, I'm not. I don't have a whole lot of strong opinions. I think Sig hit it on the head. 
Okay. Then the last guy, and I'll, I'll maybe I'll let you start off on him. Uh, is is J- is my, my uh, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts? Uh, he's he's a guy. Uh, you know, uh, I actually kind of crowdsourced some of these names, and and someone threw a tweet at me. Uh, you know, and said like. He's he's a top ten quarterback. He's not a top ten. It was like a string of tweets. They were like back and forth. So uh, I can definitely see him being a top ten fantasy quarterback in in this year. But I think the issue with him that we all have is is who knows how long he's gonna you know be the starter there. We've we've uh, there's already been rumors of Watson possibly this year uh, being traded to the Eagles. So so what are your thoughts on Hurts for for this year and, and going forward in Dynasty? Sure. Yeah, so it, it wasn't there. I remember uh, Contra was a great game, right? But wasn't there like a couple of knockoffs? To me, that's what Jalen Hurts is. He's the knockoff Konami code, right? He's the kind. He's the game that your dad gets you, and you go, "I really want a Contra," and he goes, "Yeah, they were all out, right?" That's that's Jalen Hurts to me. He's not terrible. He he gets the job done. But when you're done playing that game, you're like, "Yeah, I don't really want to play that anymore." I just don't think he's got it in him, and I don't think that offense is really right for him the way that it's built with Miles Sanders and they drafted Kenny Gainwell, who I think is a terrific back, and they got a great value on. They obviously got Devonta Smith, one of the best, if not the best, to some people receiver in the in the draft. I mean, they got Jalen Rager from last year who's still there. They got Jay Jaw, who's still I think an Eagle, right? So I just I worry about Jalen Hurts because I just it feels like a mismatch to me, like something is a little off. So for me, I, I don't have any Jalen Hurts on any rosters. I don't see me drafting him anywhere. I'm just I'm I'm not out on him, but I'm not in on him. If that makes sense, like I'm not in the middle like you were before. But I'm just mm-hmm. meh, I guess, on Jalen Hurts. Or just I, I don't know if I can trust him. Sig, yeah, it's like um, when someone asks you to marry them and you say no, but I'm not breaking up with you either. Right. Or it's <laughs> well, let me think about it. Yeah, that's not a great answer. <laughs> right. So because yeah. the thing with Hertz is you continue to hear these reports. Yet another one, fellas, as we we're recording um, this morning, I think Howard Eskin said, yes, like 90 percent, you know, better than I do, Rocky. You know, they're just at some point you can't say that this is all smoke. Right. If Adam Schefter says this. If you saw, even in an unrelated report, Adam Beasley talking about Tua and how the Dolphins could be in on Watson saying, but the Eagles have more ammo, and if they would, of course, would be in on him. The, in part, thanks to the Dolphins. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And isn't it funny how that all works? Uh, so you just feel that the Eagles want a different answer, but they're still open to Hurts selling them. Um, I think that you can make a good argument for Hurts based on the offense was just crumbling around him last year. Yeah. And how can anyone succeed in that? I mean, this is also an argument for Wentz to bounce back with Frank Reich this year. So I get it, and I think that the risk-reward strict fantasy proposition of taking him as a ninth or 10th quarterback around that Brady, Stafford, Tannehill tier, I think Hurts gives you a higher weekly ceiling because of his running ability. I think he gives you a higher season-long ceiling because if the offensive line being reconstituted, if having Devontae Smith to give the offense something to build around in the passing game, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard, maybe Miles Sanders can get on track. Because the other thing is, and Rocky, I'm not saying, I mean, I should really just hand the mic back over to you to say, the, the, the whole Eagles 2020 experience was just off. You know, like an yes. airplane whenever they <laughs> ate the fish. You know what I mean? Like the whole team ate the fish, and the flight was never really going to get there on time. <laughs> Terrific or, analogy. You know? That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I'm trying to describe, where it's like there's just something. I, I don't want to do it again, but it yeah. wasn't, I got where I was going. I don't know. So, how much can I complain? <laughs> do you believe this in this franchise to get back on track? Do you believe Hurts is the guy to do that? Do you believe the league was wrong, letting him fall to the end of the second round, and he's actually really a good quarterback? There's a lot of questions here. I get it on the one year 
um, window. But if you're in a dynasty super flex league and you have hurts, you should be burning up the phones and taking the best offer you can get, not the offer you think you deserve, because I think the bottom could drop out of his value at any time. But that was an airplane reference, correct? Oh yeah, airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I always I use that one a lot on the show. Like when sometimes a team will show up and it's like they ate the fish. Wasn't it the yeah. fish? Yeah, yeah or like the fish. You know, yeah. Donovan McNabb was a guy that like once or twice a year would give you a game where he ate the he fish. Ate the fish. <laughs> I yeah, love that. At home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, 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 Hertz is a guy that I love a lot more for redraft than, than, than dynasty. Um, because of that ceiling, uh, I think he would have made a good, I didn't end up taking him, but a good uh, fishbowl pick. I think he holds the job through the year. I just have serious, serious doubts, assuming they don't trade for Watson this season, which which could happen. Uh, I actually hope Eskin is right. <laughs> um, and he's, he's, he's pretty good at, at getting, he, you know, he's a local guy here in Philadelphia, and he's pretty good at, at with his news sources. So it, it could be something that happens. I just, I, I'm not sure if, the Watson situation all shakes out in time for it to happen this year. So assuming Hertz plays this year, I think he will produce, but I do think they're going to want to move on unless, unless the team is very good. So uh, I, I think Hertz has the potential to produce just because the offensive line should be better. They were, they were all banged up last year pretty much. Um, so he'll, he'll get his running stats. I, I think he'll be better passing them that 52%. He was, he was in completion percentage. He was instructed a lot to throw away the ball because because Carson was not doing that. That he was getting sacked all the time. Uh, so I, I don't think that's a, tr- a true indication of, of of his accuracy. So again, a, a redraft guy. Yes, I just I I have I think there's like a fifteen percent chance he's the starter beyond twenty twenty one. If they're if they're not like. Nine and ten, nine and whatever the eight, ten and seven. Uh, I had to remember the seventeen number. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't think that they're going to. I think they're going to look to move on, like you said. They haven't even technically named him the starter this year with Joe Flacco and Nick Mullins as their right. backup. So uh, that. They don't, you know, they don't have another option. They drafted him in the second round last year, and and, and I think personally caused Carson Wentz to partially fall apart. The team around him helped with that, but I think it broke him mentally too. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to give him a chance, uh, but I think they're looking to move on first chance they get. So we've gone a long time here, so we are going to stop there, even though we had a few more players on the list, and go right into our find me a trade segment here uh, to finish up. So. Uh, this one was submitted by uh, Jake Earl at the Jake Earl on Twitter. Andrew, you want to go into the settings and then I'll uh, pull up the roster and, 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 and go over that real quick. Sure thing. Yeah. So this is a 12 team Superflex, uh 0.25 points per carry with tiered PPR uh, 0.5 PPR for running backs, one for receiver, two for tight end. So it does have that tight end premium we were talking about before. Uh, these are 30 man rosters. You start 11. It's a QB, a super flex, and nine flex. So there's no starting requirements, which I thought was a very interesting uh, wrinkle for this trade because then you don't have to worry about, well, you need to start three receivers, so I would target XYZ, or you need to start so many running backs. Like That's usually something I look at. So that was an interesting tr- uh, thing that I think I think informed my trade. I don't know if it did for you guys, but that was something I was looking for is that I don't need to worry about positions much. I can just try to get pure value. Okay, and I'm going to go into the roster real quick. I like to try, and since we are live, put it on the screen. Let me just get it up here. 
uh, add to the stream. There we go. Uh, for the people. So he has uh, Baker, Dak, and Derek Carr as his main quarterbacks. He also has Heineke and Trubisky as maybe high end backups. Uh, he has, he mentioned um, in his, uh, his, uh, DM to us. I'm sorry, I just pulled this up on the screen. I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> that he uh, kind of faded running back a little bit. This was a startup this year. He went QBX and and was looking to uh, and then traded some of those guys. So he didn't care too much about running back because he didn't need to start them. And I guess the point by PPR and all that. So he has uh, David Johnson and Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram. He's got the Houston backfield locked up. Uh, and he's got Kareem Hunt, Marv, Melvin Gordon, and Leonard Fournette as his main other guys. Very solid at receiver. Devontae Adams, Cooper, Fuller, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, and Cortland Sutton. And then at tight end, he's got Logan Thomas, uh, Zach Ertz, Gronkowski, Berkser. And uh, he's got a couple rookies on his taxi squad. No one really of note. So so that's his roster. Uh, let me take this off here now. And... Uh, Again, I just wanted to get into you know what he had said, which was that uh, it was a 2021 startup. As I said, he drafted a bunch of QBs, got back down to three through trades, uh, traded away all of his picks, doesn't have much depth, but the starting lineup is legit, looking to get an edge over other top win-now teams. Um, and uh, so I guess, Andrew, you mentioned your trade. you want to go into that and uh, uh, what you decided to go with? Sure. Yeah. So again, what I was looking for was I do think the team is pretty locked and loaded. If you don't have to start any running backs, that's the kind of team I want for that. I do think he's got a lot of good depth. I do think he's got a lot of potential, but I, I look at that team and the first thing that struck me was he's got a lot of aging running backs. Now, even if you don't have to start any, they definitely come in handy at certain plays They're if with that 0.25 point per carry and a half point PPR, they will have value and there are going to be some weeks. So when I was looking at that, my first thought was, all right, well, maybe I target a a, I don't know, cheaper uh, ascending running back, someone who's got a lot of value still to go, right? Someone who you can buy on the cheap who will accrue value. And then maybe there's a way to get a better receiver out of it also, depending on what you're giving up. So the trade that I went with, which I think is kind of a small trade, at least in my mind, I don't think it's a blockbuster, but it's kind of one that I think helps. It looks like it helps both teams. Uh, so there's another team in there called Bullet Bill, and you would trade Sutton and Fuller. And I think Sutton is probably his wide receiver five-ish, four-ish, depending on how you rank them. Fuller is mm -hmm. kind of right in there. And so you trade Sutton and Fuller for Chase Claypool and Damian Harris. And the logic behind this is that's kind of an upgrade to Claypool. He's obviously got a little bit of competition this year, but I think his future value is only going up. Uh, and then Damian Harris, who I think the, if Mac Jones starts, whenever that happens, I think you'll see Damian Harris become more of a workhorse back. That, that backfield has been kind of a mess for... Geez, what feels like a decade now. And so I think Damian Harris is legit. I do think he's the real deal. And it, he just doesn't have the opportunity to be that in fantasy because Cam has taken all the touchdowns. But the writing is on the wall there that Damian Harris will eventually be the back with Mac Jones. So I felt like Damian Harris is kind of a throw in. You're getting a, an upgraded receiver with Claypool. You're giving up two good receivers. You're giving up what could be your two of your nine starters, right? Because this is a full flex. And you're getting back Claypool, who I think is an upgrade, and then Damian Harris, who is a flyer and gets you younger at running back. So it's kind of, I don't know, a little bit of the best of both, where you upgrade and upgrade for youth, and they're both younger. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty solid value-wise. I, I don't think people are valuing Fuller very highly. Uh, I, I actually 
don't mind keeping Sutton and Fuller. I mean, I am not as high maybe on Claypool as you are is probably the reason. Uh, I mean, he's definitely got the highest ceiling of any of the four guys we're talking about in this trade. That's, and that's I know you, you're a Deontay fan, so getting yes, you to I, talk I positively definitely. about Chase is tricky. I know, but <laughs> I, I just I think Chase Claypool is one of those guys that is like what like what Sig was saying. He's a riskier guy. He's got a higher ceiling. Right. He, we saw it last season as a rookie. And once Juju leaves, which we all think is going to happen at the end of this year, I think Chase is going to become that wide receiver, too, and become the next Juju. So I do think he's got a lot of future potential. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also a Sutton fan, too, I think, which didn't help my uh, opinion of the trade. Not that it's bad. I Like I said, I think it's fair, pretty fair value wise. It just it depends if uh, Bullet Bill probably is more like you or more like me. Well, Bullet Bill has Drew Locke on his team. So that did factor in. I was like, if you've got Drew Locke, in my mind, if you've got Drew Locke, you're kind of going somewhat in on the Bronco or the, you know, the Denver team in general. So it's like maybe you're not a Broncos fan, but he's only got three quarterbacks. He's got Hertz, Lawrence and Locke. So he's a little light at quarterback, but Locke might have to start for him and maybe he thinks Locke is the guy if he's only got three quarterbacks so like maybe he's high on Sutton because and maybe I'm mistaken on this but I think everything I've heard says if Bridgewater is the guy it's Judy right and if Locke is the guy yeah. it's Sutton right so in theory if you've got Locke and you think it's going to be Locke then you would want Sutton which made yeah. me think he might value Sutton more than me right he might value Sutton is like well I would love to get that stack and get that paired up because I do think Locke is a guy which means I think Sutton is the number one so that kind of did have a hand in why I made that trade and I like that too, because in a in a league where you don't have to start any position, the the stack could be a reason to make that trade. Uh, any thoughts, Sig, before we move on to another trade? Real quick, just for Earthworm Jim, I would say I'm going to come out of left field here and say try to trade for Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think that having more upside at that super flex than uh, Baker Mayfield or Derek Carr is is really how you're going to increase your win now. And win now makes sense for a team that has Julio Jones. Um, you know. Devontae Adams, yeah. Hopkins, right. And Adams and Rodgers in particular, uh, you know, pairing those guys up. The team that has Rodgers has, uh, it's um, Yoshi's Island, they have Carson Wentz, Zach Wilson. You know, they've got ETN and, and Trey Sermon. They're look, maybe looking to the future a little bit. Taylor. It's a solid team. Um, but you very easily could be able to trade uh, Baker Mayfield and something not that significant if you get in right after Aaron Rodgers doesn't report to camp. Let's assume he doesn't report to camp. Right there, there's going to be a, a moment, a gasp moment. Well, he might take this all and he might, but that's the kind of risk. Is Baker May, is not having Baker Mayfield going to ruin this guy's chances to win the Super Bowl? No. no. But is having Aaron Rodgers going to maybe give him a chance to win it? Yes. Yes. That's a good point. Good point. That's a good trade. Yep. So that's what uh, Simon came up with. Then, and I guess uh, we might not. Uh, you might not like mine as much then, because I kind of went the <laughs> other direction, um, which I am want to do. Uh, that yeah. quarterback. This is such uh, a rocky trade, by the way. It's it is a very idea. rocky trade. Um, <laughs> hashtag particularly Petrella. Um, <laughs> um, but I had him trading Baker and Logan Thomas to to Kratos, God of War, for Ryan Fitzpatrick and T.J. Hawkinson, and. Uh, the uh, I did factor in the the flex thing uh, and and especially the 2.0 tight end premium. We we all anybody who's listened to, to either this podcast or Trade Addicts knows I love Hawkinson this year. I think he takes mm -hmm. a jump. I think he gets into that uh, elite tier this year with the, the targets I expect him to get. And, and he's just he's going into his third year, and and we've seen tight ends progress from their first to their second to their third year. So um, even though tight end is not required in this league, that 2.0 premium still makes them very valuable. Um, 
just uh, repeating what he did last year when he wasn't elite, he, he would have been uh, the equivalent of wide receiver 13 or RB 12. If he makes that jump, it becomes, you know, even 80% of Waller that, that, that say that makes him like a, uh, a you know, a top five at, at running back or wide receiver. So he still has a ton of value, even though you don't have to start, especially if he does what I think he's going to do, even though you don't have to start a tight end. And, and that's why you do a 2.0 tight end premium, something like this. I actually run one off flex league, um, you know, super flex when all the rest are flexes. And uh, I, I made it 1.75 and I've been thinking of them bumping into 2.0, but a lot of, it seems like everybody, their face tight ends or hoards them in that kind of league. Yeah. Um, they just decide it's not worth it. Cause you don't have to start one or I'm one of those hoarder guys because I, you know, the premium. So um, he loses security going from Baker to Fitz, um, but I don't think he loses points. And I do like his, his team's chances of, you know, he, he probably needs things to break right and not get too injured. But I do think he can contend this year. So uh, he's obviously taking a step down a quarterback in terms of security, but I don't think in terms of production. Um, and, and if we're worried about, you know, I've heard the narrative that Fitz has never started 16 games. So even if that happens, he at least has Heineke as a fallback on his team. Just so happens to have Heineke already. So I, I like it for him and for, for the team he'd be trading him to. That's another guy who definitely appears to be trying to contend. He's got Derrick Henry on his team. He's got Keenan Allen on his team. Um, it doesn't look like he's a guy who's in rebuild mode. So it makes sense for him to possibly grab Baker at quarterback because he is he has four potential QBs and Mac Jones, Deshaun Watson, Jameis, uh, who we talked about, and, and Fitz. But you could literally say there's a chance that none of them are – that you're never starting – have two of those four starting at the same time all year. You, you may not – you know, we don't know for sure in any of those guys. So um, Baker gives him an anchor at QB uh, that he can depend on, uh, and hopefully he has at least one of those other four guys the rest of the year at some point so we can start two quarterbacks. Uh, so it might make sense for him to try and get some QB security – and then, you know, Logan Thomas finishes tight end four last year in this format. Hawk was tight end three. Um, so you can kind of sell, hopefully sell him on that, even though I don't think Logan Thomas reproduces that this year, whereas Hawk, I think, goes beyond where he was last year. So you're getting two guys moving in the opposite direction. Uh, so that's what I was thinking. Uh, I, I've seen Andrew nodding on. I'm curious if this is agreement nodding or just. Uh, <laughs> so it's a little think? bit of both. I mean, you're, you're it's it's a it's again it's a rocky trade, right? You're you're exactly right. Where the production value of Baker and Fitz are probably pretty close in Dynasty. Their trade value is very different, right? And I'm with yes. you on that. And I, I like the logic. And you, you explain this over and over that you know, give me a quarterback to get through the year. I'll deal with next year, next year, right? Like, and and I don't exactly. mind that. I think there's a lot of value in that because there's a whole bunch of players in dynasty that, that chuck these guys overboard for nothing or, or are willing to sell them under value. I don't want to say for nothing. And even the term cheap is an odd term because every, every league is so unique and so different, right? Like cheap in one league is expensive in another. So it's impossible to know how this league, how the market in this league is. But all that said, I do think it's a good trade. I do. I love Hawk. I'm with you entirely on that. I'm just, I'm looking at it from the other side. If I had Fitz and Hawk and you're offering me Baker, Baker and Thomas, I'm not quite sure that's enough, but that's because I don't believe in Thomas. So you, you said it perfectly. You kind of have to I, sell him on Thomas. I meant to mention this. I actually would be willing to throw in another small piece. He doesn't have well, that, that's what I would. I, I was don't just going to say, that that's what I would, would counter be. with. I would yeah. offer up uh, maybe like one of those running backs that you have extra running yeah. backs, right? Because this guy doesn't have a ton of running backs, you know, in my mind anyway. I'm not by any means crapping on anybody's roster, but with Rashad Penny on your roster, in my mind, it's like, okay, you, you need a little running back help. It couldn't hurt. So I do think that he's 
this other guy, you're right. The Kratos God of War team is definitely contending also. And that makes it for a different trade too, because in my mind, if it's two contenders, they're almost never going to find something because they don't want to help the other contender. So it just makes the trades harder. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm double analyzing this, right? Where it's like, I'm do really deep into this, but like, I don't hate the trade. I do think it's a good trade. It just, I think it might be tricky to pull off. That's all. I, yeah. I think it hinges on the, the whole quarterback thing. Like yeah. uh, maybe he doesn't care, but he does also, maybe he doesn't care. He doesn't have any elite. He does have Watson who isn't elite quarterback, but he's no one he can depend on, but he also has four. So maybe he does care. You know, right. I, I'm not right. sure. Yeah. He might, uh, you know, relish the chance to have a Baker who he doesn't have to worry about these. It other could be John Hogan just wants all the quarterbacks. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, exactly. So Sig, we'll let you finish up uh, any thoughts on this trade and then we'll finally let you get out of here. Well, my thoughts are just in general, uh, to piggyback on the conversation, is just don't let tossing in players or later picks at the margin keep you from making a trade. Always ask yourself, is this going to change my destiny? Is throwing in Leonard Fournette going to change my destiny? Is it really going to matter in the end? No. So be willing to go that extra mile. Don't be afraid to lose a trade based on current values because that changes so quickly. Good trades become bad trades, and bad trades become good trades in the blink of an eye. Uh, so go out, go forth, make trades. Well, just one thing I, I want to tag this with the end of that is the, I always ask myself, why am I making this trade today? That there is always this question in the back of my head. Do I need to make this move today? And in this league, I don't know if he needs to make any moves right now. If I'm being honest, this, this uh, earthworm gym is not a bad team. I don't think you need to make any moves. If you've already sacrificed your future, I might look at this and say, well, let's see how the first couple weeks go. And then maybe I decide to retool because I don't know if there's a reason now to make the, any sort of trade per se, but the, yes. The reason is, Andrew, is because if we said Stan Pat, there is no segment. Right, no, I get it. <laughs> I'm joking. It's find me a trade, not tell me not to trade. I'm well aware. I'm, I'm just, just, I'm just I'm saying, just I don't want to. And that's the rest of the story. I don't want to miss the obvious point of, you don't always have to trade. Trading is a ton of fun, and I am I love trades, but it's like sometimes the team, I, I over tinker. So I'm, I'm speaking from experience here that I will almost always be willing to trade, and then sometimes that is a detriment where I dig myself a hole. So I, I, I try to slow myself down and be like, why am I doing this today? What is the benefit today? What news is breaking that I, I don't think I'm going to have you know well and this even with these suggestions i mean these are all you know and i think we've specifically said this on some trades before you know this is just seized to maybe even like something you do in september right. or something like that uh so it, yeah he doesn't necessarily i agree with you he's got a pretty good team he doesn't need to do any necessarily any of these moves today but just some food for thought and, and mm -hmm. you know so you know give us some content andrew come on uh <laughs> so that'll finally finish it up I, I you know i feel bad we kept sig this long but i appreciate him doing it for sure um so i just want to let you sign off sig um yeah. any if you want to give your twitter handle any anything you want to plug anything you want to say do it now yeah just at segment bloom footballguys.com if you don't know about it we've got something for you i'm sure <laughs> and i always love spending time with these guys Okay. Again, thanks for coming on. I will just finish yeah, thanks, up with Sig. some of our stuff. Um, I did want to make a little bit of a show announcement here that um, for people who've been listening for a while, uh, previous to Andrew, um, we had uh, I had Scott Sidlow um, on for a while as my co-host. He actually uh, will be returning. Uh, we will be a, a three-man rotation here. Um, some weeks you'll have me and Andrew. Some weeks you'll have me and Scott. Some weeks you'll have Scott and Andrew. So it should be fun. Both of them are super smart. 
uh, both of them are much better podcasters than I am. So, um, <laughs> so it's it's going to be great, and uh, he will be back uh, probably sometime in August. So I just wanted to let everybody know, and then I know a lot of people like Scott when he was on, and he had to he had to take a little break uh, for life, but he's but he's ready to come back uh, full force. So we're looking forward to having him. So uh, with that, I'll just finish up giving the Twitter handle for the pod at Dynasty Junkies. Um, and uh, also, I just wanted to mention though too. Uh, find me a trade that uh, we're, we're we're running low. So if you if you have a roster you want us to find a trade for, you can send it there, um, or you can send it to me or Andrew at our Twitter handles at DynastyFFatic at Andrew Hall FF. Also, follow the Dap Network at Dap underscore Network. You'll see when we go live there, or if you subscribe to the YouTube channel for Dap Network, and uh, you know, click on the bell, you'll see when we go live there as well. And you can see these great guests like Sigmund Bloom and, and last week's James Rodea Rodriguez. Uh, and we have many great guests coming up as well. So uh, make sure you subscribe uh, to the DAP Network, subscribe to this podcast, uh, give us a rating and review, preferably a five-star one. Uh, if you want to give us a one-star review, um, you maybe just pass on it then. <laughs> but uh, we love the reviews. and We'd like to hear, hear what you like and what you don't like. I think that'll finish up for this week. Andrew, take us out. Junkies out. <laughs>